Well, let's get started. We've been in the series, Whatever Happened to the Power of God? Beginning to examine is where did God go? Because the God of the Bible does not seem to be the God that is in reality today. And we've been looking at some different facets of this and what possibly is going on. And, and one of the things we looked at is, is, is really our system of religion has is, is taken away the power of God because we've all but removed God from it. We've taken a form of worship that feels comfortable to us. We've taken a form of scripture that feels comfortable to us. We've taken a form of either a denomination or some sort of a belief system that feels comfortable to us, and therefore it must be true, and there must be nothing else out there, and everybody else is wrong but me, right? Isn't that how it goes? Of course that's how it goes. Because you guys know that every other church out there is 100% wrong if they don't line up with what we believe, right? Of course not. Of course not right? Only people that believe that cheer for the Sooners, okay? So, and they need all the prayers they can get. So, but, but we, we've taken on this as is that we have this form of godliness, but we deny its power. It's happening in churches across America. If we have an all-powerful, all-knowing creator, where did his power go? What happened to him? Why did he stop? Well, we begin to look at this uh, week in and week out, trying to examine some of the different facets and looking at Scripture. And today I want to start in Psalm 77. We've read this for the last couple of weeks, but I want to read it again. Starting in verse 10, it says, And I said, this is my anguish, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. You see, what David is talking about here is the remembering of what God has done and the gratefulness and thankfulness He has in the work of God. If you got up this morning, you should be thankful. If you're able to drive here from a town of far, far away, you should be thankful. You see, if you live in America, you especially should be thankful because, my goodness, the things we take for granted here. I, Jim sends me pictures all the time of some of the works going down there in El Salvador, and they're building churches with dirt floors and plastic chairs, and you know what the worst part is? There's no air conditioning, and those people are excited to go. What would happen here if the air conditioning broke? We'd cancel service, right? I mean, we don't want to sit here and sweat. That's not holy. That's not what Jesus would do. No, we're so comfortable here, we take for granted the things that we have. We take for granted a motorcycle that we can just go and buy and do whatever we want. And here you've got in these foreign countries where that would literally revolutionize the way they do ministry. And a lot of the times they're nothing fancy, they're a dirt bike. But man, it would change everything for them. We take those things for granted. You know what else we take for granted? We take God for granted. Today's Mother's Day. You know what else we take for granted? Mothers. Right? If you've ever puked on a floor and somebody else cleaned it up, you better thank your mom, because you know it wasn't dad, because dad would be puking right next to it. Now that's what Jesus would do. So the thing is, guys, is we take God for granted. We're like, yes, thank you for that salvation you gave me. Now quit telling me what to do. I got it from here. Let's look at this again. Psalm 103. We've been reading this. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all His benefits. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
When he says, forget not your, all his benefits, what's he saying? Remember them. He said in Psalm 77, we need to go back and think about the goodness of God. If you've ever gone through something in life where it was really difficult, whatever the situation may be, and you came out the other side, you should be thankful. You should be thankful you went through it. You should be thankful you lived through it. You should be thankful that you get to wake up in the morning and be a better person because of it. But the benefits that come from God are not something that you've earned. It is a result of who He is, not who you are. The right standing we have with God is a result of who He is and not who we are. Because the only thing we bring to the table is our submission. That's it. When he says, forget not all his benefits, he's saying you need to remember all of these. And you need to be grateful for it. We're not a grateful generation. We're a people that take everything for granted, including God. When you go over to a foreign country like China, where Christianity is illegal, and the time that they get to spend together as a church, as a body, they are extremely grateful. There's a video that's gone out there, it's gone viral, I don't have it today to show you, but, but they get a shipment in of Bibles, it was all done underground, it comes in a suitcase, they open that thing up, and the people just dive on it, and they're kissing it, and they're crying, because for the first time, they have the Word of God in their hands that they can read on their own. Could you imagine? We have so many of them sitting on shelves at home collecting dust, we have an app on our phone that we can do that with. We have the opportunity to come together each and every week, but we don't because we got other things going on, so we don't need to. We take it all for granted. We read, you know, we've been reading Hebrews and, and whatnot, and it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together like is the manner of some, but yet we take that for granted. I mean, you don't realize what you got until it's gone. I'm pretty sure that's a song. It's a wise one, too. But what are his benefits? Well, the first thing, let's go back to that verse. Let's look at Psalm 103 here. He forgives, right? We've talked about this. He forgives. He also, he heals. Amen, Amen is right. He redeems. Amen. He purchased the price for us. He crowns. And then he satisfies. What we've been talking about is how every one of these things have to do with one another. They are not mutually exclusive. Because nothing about God will ever satisfy you if you don't start up here with forgiveness. We've got to start there. We looked at this. Is that for, in order to get to healing, you've got to start with forgiveness. What is forgiveness? We read this here in John chapter 19, verse 28 last week. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. What does that mean? He gave his life up. They didn't take it from him. He laid it down. But when he said, it is finished, he said, tetelestai, that's the Greek word there. It is now complete. It has now been purchased. It has now been redeemed. All that has to be done has been done now. The satisfaction of the penalty of the law that was written against you 
has now been satisfied and paid in full. That is literally what it means. And then we jump to Colossians chapter 2, where it says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of sins in the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him, in baptism in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, nailed it to the cross, he disarmed principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Guys, if you don't get excited about this, look at what he just said here. This is what Paul is saying, is that when Jesus died on the cross, he took the debt that you owed, that no matter how hard you tried, you could not pay. You couldn't give enough. You couldn't do enough. You couldn't be enough. But Jesus took it, and he nailed that debt to the cross, and it said it's paid in full. Y'all ought to get excited about that, because we're talking about our lives here. This is what we take for granted. Do you realize that you deserve the penalty of death? And Jesus said, hey, hey, don't worry about it. I'll take this. I got this one. And what do we do? Yeah, thanks. Could you imagine somebody getting ready to lose their home to foreclosure? They have no way of making things right. And you are the ability, you walk in and you pay that mortgage off. What would their response be? You're probably getting a hug. You probably are. And yet, we come to Jesus who paid the penalty of death on our behalf. And what do we say? Thanks. I got it from here. We want to do it our way. We will not humble our hearts before Him. You see, we want a form of godliness, but we deny its power. We want to play this game. We want to look a certain way. We want, to, we want people to perceive us as something. We take for granted this forgiveness. Because why? It was free. You didn't have to earn it. You didn't do anything. We talk about teaching your children the value of a dollar. And how do you do that? Quit giving them so much crap. Make them earn something, right? Because in which that they will value if they have to work for it, conceivably. But here's something you don't have to work for because there's no value on it. We don't have to see it every day. We're not faced with eternity every day. We, 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 just, we just take him for granted. We're like, well, thank you, Jesus. Man, I tell you what, guys. If your sin was on display and it was played in front of everybody in here and you realize that Jesus paid all of that, you should shed a tear. You should give Jesus a hug. We, should, we need to get that grateful and that thankful for his forgiveness. Amen. But we don't. You know, another thing, I, I didn't put this in my notes, but when Janet was praying this morning, we always spend some time early in prayer, and I'm very grateful for that. She's been teaching on Ephesians, I'm very grateful for that. But I want to read out of Romans chapter 5. I want you to listen very carefully to the words that are being spoken here, because this is the will of God. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says, Therefore, having been justified by faith. Now what does that mean? That we, it's justified, never sin. We are set apart by what? Our belief in His work. Amen. 
So we're justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a revolutionary thought. We have peace with God. That means God is no longer mad. Why? Because it's been paid in full. It is satisfied. Remember what that meant. The handwriting requirements was your sentence that was written. That whatever it was, either you owed money or whatever the case may be, until that sentence was fulfilled, you had this piece of paper looming over your head. At the time that it had been satisfied, they would write to die on it. And you had to carry that with you. That way, if anybody ever accused you of not fulfilling your sentence, you showed them that, and it showed that you had been redeemed. That is what Jesus did. That is what he said. The penalty for the jailer, if somebody escaped, is they had to take that punishment on. So no matter the amount of time in jail you had, if you didn't fulfill your sentence, the jailer got to fulfill your sentence for him. You see, that's the thing. That's why the jailer, when Paul and Barnabas and the shackles fall off their feet and he's about ready to kill himself, Paul's like, whoa, 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 we're still here. Guys, this is what Jesus has done. He's paid it all. When we sing a song, you are worthy of it all, these aren't just words. He is worthy of it all because he has given it all. But we're just a bunch of immature, fat baby Christians with our mouth open to say, feed me, make me comfortable, make me feel good, make me happy, help me fulfill my destiny. You know what your destiny is? Serve God where you're planted. That's it. That's all you got to worry about. You don't have to worry about the greater things that God may have 10 years down the road. Those will take care of themselves. But until we get to the point where we serve God and we're grateful for what He has done, we can never pursue those other things. Okay, verse 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore... Just as though through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned for the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through one Jesus Christ therefore as though one man's offense judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men resulting in 
and justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounds much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I get an amen? Amen. Because guys, this is what we're talking about here. Is that this forgiveness is free. It has been paid for. And we should accept it. And we should be grateful for it. That way when Jesus says, listen, I need you to do this for me. I need you to get uncomfortable. I need you to be in church. And I need you to worship me. Not for my benefit, but for your benefit. You say, yes, Lord, what else do you want? Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as us were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in a newness of life. For if we had been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin should not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Of course not. Do you not? know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey you are that one slaves whom you obey whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine in which you were delivered and having been set free from sin you became slaves of righteousness I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to moral lawlessness and so now present your members as slaves of the righteousness for holiness for when you were slaves of sin you were free in regard to righteousness what fruit did you have then in the things which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord guys we need to be grateful if we never get past the part that we can be forgiven and we are thankful for it, that we're not willing to do the things necessary to walk in a life worthy of that holiness and worthy of that, that punishment that was paid that Jesus took on himself, then what are we doing? Why are we here? You know what we want? We want his benefits. We want them all. God, I want you to save me. I want you to heal me. I want you to crown me. And I want satisfaction. But I don't want to do it your way. That is the world we live in today. It is sad. We no longer have churches that preach about the righteousness of God and the blood of Jesus being shed for your, your benefit. What we preach about is how you can have your best life now and how you can fulfill your dreams and destinies and do all of that. 
That way that you can't have healing, and that way you can have redemption, and that way you can have satisfaction. But if we never start at the very beginning, and then behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that died that death, that paid that punishment, that fulfilled that Passover for you and me, then we will never move on to the greater things that God has, because we will not accept ourselves as made righteousness in God in Christ. If we are saved by grace, which is His work, through faith alone in His Son, then we need to be thankful because I don't care how good you think you are, you had nothing to do with it. We should be thanking Him. We should be hugging Him. We should be like, God, what do you want from me today? What can I do from you? What do I need to do to get out of my comfort zone, to press into the greater things that you have? This is what it comes down to, folks, is we have got to get past this childish behavior and start getting more so in line with what belongs to us only through that forgiveness. If you're not forgiven, forget about healing. Forget about redemption. Forget about satisfaction. You'll never find it. If you've only got a form of godliness, but you're going to deny His power, then we've got a problem. So as we look at this, as we look at this forgiveness that we have, first thing we got to do is we got to accept it as truth. He says that we are forgiven, that we have, He has washed away our sins. As far as the east is from the west, they are no longer a part of us. If that is true, then we should walk as such. Should we go on sinning because grace, so grace can abound? Of course not. We should start living as children of righteousness. That our life is a reflection of the goodness of God. That we walk around realizing what Jesus has done. And we put our desires on the back burner. Because the more that you do that, your desires will become his desires. Amen. There was a time in my life, guys, all I wanted to do was play the drums. I loved, I was good. Got to travel around a little bit. Got to do a little recording. I'm like, God, I'm going to play these drums for you. Every time I woke up, I wanted to play them drums. I still got them drums. They've been in cases for 10 years, but I still own them. And that was all I wanted. When I went down to go to Bible school at Raymond, first thing I did, what do you think the first thing I did? I walked in that door and said, guess what, guys? I'm here. The wait is over. <laughs> I did not really do that. I did audition. And they wanted me to play, but it never worked out because I had to work and all that other stuff. But that's all I wanted. I just wanted to play the drums. I love playing the drums. And it's like one day... It just kind of went away. It's quit caring, which was opposite. And the reason was, is God did not create me to play the drums. He created me for a purpose, but it wasn't playing the drums. Something I like doing, and now I don't care. They've been in the cases for 10 years. I probably should sell them, but I don't want to. <laughs> Security. <laughs> Listen, I work alone here, okay? You see, the thing is, is that my desire, my desire to go all over the world and play music and all of that changed. And it wasn't anything that I did. It was just I pursued God more. And then suddenly, the desires of my heart changed to match what he was doing. We've got to follow God. And out of a gratefulness for God, I have decided that I will go anywhere that God tells me to go. And I will be obedient. I'll just tell you this, being perfectly honest with y'all. Rockport was never on my radar. I wasn't graduating from Bible school. I was like, boy, I sure hope I get the opportunity to go to Rockport, Missouri someday. Because then I will have arrived. I will be at the pinnacle. <laughs> <laughs> 
pastoring. Never once. I love it here. And you know what makes it so great? Is this where God brought me to. I mean, they're great people. Don't get me wrong. But I just want to be obedient to Him and go where He has me. And, and yeah, I may not get everything right, but I'm going to try hard. And I'm going to serve Him. And I'll get past the screw-ups. Hopefully you will too. <laughs> but we move on together. So out of this forgiveness, we've got to recognize something. If that forgiveness is a benefit of God, then everything else that goes with it is as well. So, let's deal with the elephant in the room. The one that we talk about but we never see. We have no problem accepting forgiveness. It's God's will. It's His plan. No big deal. Everybody can be forgiven. You ask anybody in America, are you right with God? Their answer inevitably is going to be yes. Because why would you say no? And you ask them, well, how do you know you're right with God? Their response will be, well, I'm a good person. Well, good, you just did something to earn it. But the elephant in the room is this one. What do we do about this? Healing. We're going to start to transition into this a little bit. Because the Bible talks about healing. Let me read you a couple passages. James chapter 5, starting at verse 13, it says, If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Is any of you cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Pretty confident speaking there of uh, James, the brother of Jesus. Right? Listen, if you're sick... Call the elders of the church. Who are the elders of the church? Me and anybody else that is a spiritual leader here. Call them up. All they got to do is come pray for you. And the prayer of faith will make them well, right? Has anybody ever done that and it didn't work? Uh-oh. Either James lied or maybe we're not where we should be. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It says, For those... For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his step. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. When did he receive those stripes? Going to the cross. And if we're healed through those stripes and the destruction of his flesh, doesn't that mean that we should have a little bit of confidence that we should be walking in healing? We call it divine health as a nomenclature that we put on it, but doesn't that seem to sound that way? It does. Anybody ever been sick? Right. We got a problem. What do we do with it? What we tend to do is we make up all sorts of excuses. But we got to deal with it. So the first camp is, is that God doesn't heal. Yeah, he did at one point, but he doesn't anymore. He's out of the healing business, right? He cashed in all that he could, but after the canon of Scripture was complete, now we've got the Bible. We don't need healing anymore. The only purpose of healing was to reveal the truth that the, the messenger was who he said he was, that he's really come from God, and therefore, because we have the Bible now, and all you have to do is read the Bible, you don't need any signs following. So God no longer heals. Is that true? Depends on who you ask. 
I mean, doesn't it make sense? Have you ever prayed for somebody to be healed and they didn't get healed? Well, that's because he doesn't heal anymore. He did. He stopped. Now, what date he stopped, I don't know. He must have clocked out and went home. He'll come back. We'll worry about it then. Bottom line is, whatever sickness you have, you're going to have. The other one is that God does heal if it's His will. Yeah, God still heals today. And He can do whatever He wants. If it's His will, He'll heal you. If it's not His will, what happens? You don't get healed, right? Well, how do you know if it's His will or not His will? Well, the results, of course. Well, doesn't that make sense? If you prayed for somebody and they didn't get better, well, maybe it wasn't God's will for you to heal, be healed. That makes sense? Here's the problem with both of these. I have problems with both of these, okay? Is that this one is a broad brush statement, God does not heal. What would it take to prove that wrong? Just need one. Don't need more. Because if we get one, well, that means that statement is not true. Then it can come over to here. Well, it must have been His will that they were healed. Well, here's the problem. Are we or are we not to pray for God's will? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we know what His will is? If it's His will for you to be sick, and you are praying that you don't be sick anymore, now you're praying against God. What happens when people go against God? Lightning. Bad things. We break out the smiter. What do we do? Then we got a third camp. It's always God's will to heal. Now, when we read in James, he says, do this. You notice what he didn't say. Ask if it's the will of God. If it's the will of God, then the prayer of faith. And Peter didn't say that by his stripes you were healed with any kind of a context that said, well, if it's his will. You see, because he's tying that back to the work of the cross. And what was the work of the cross? It was the atonement. The atoning work of sin. So, some would say that healing is in the atonement. In other words, that if you are born again and capable of it, then you should be healed as well from all sickness and all disease. What do we do with this? Where do we go from here? I'm not going to answer that question today. Isn't that nice of me? This is going to take a little while. Because how many of you guys believe in the power of healing? How many of you guys believe in the power of prayer? What if I told you I didn't? Oh, yeah. Good thing she doesn't have a rock. She'd throw it at me. I don't believe in the power of healing. I believe in the power of God. I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of the one that we pray to. We've shifted our focus to the benefits and not the giver of the benefits. Aren't you glad you didn't stone me? Jenny, want me to answer that? Oh, <laughs> uh, the best part is this normally stands. So, you see, guys, as we begin to get into this, 
we've got to deal with this. This is the elephant in the room. Because I don't care what your experience has been, we need to do what we always do. We need to go back to Scripture. What does Scripture say on the subject of healing? David said that it's his benefit. He heals all your diseases. He's not doing a very good job if that statement is true. Now, I want to tell you guys a story, and I'm going to show you a short video here. Because, and this is where we're going to end it today. Is there was a man, his name was Dwayne Miller. He was a pastor of a church, a decent-sized church. And uh, in 1990, he got this uh, virus or something, and it messed with his vocal cords. He could, he would, the way he would describe it is in order to talk, he'd have to scream. But you could barely hear him. And that doesn't work very well if you're a pastor. Because part of what you do is talk. A lot. Right? I know what y'all are thinking. No comments, okay? <laughs> but he would, he would try, and he tried for a couple of years to, to keep things going. But let's be honest, is if, if you can't hear the guy giving the word every, every week... It's just not going to work out. And so it was a Baptist church, and they, they both kind of just decided it was time to part ways. Now, this man, this is all he's ever done, all he's ever known. It broke his heart. I mean, imagine, you know, if, if, if everything that you'd ever done in your life was taken away from you, and you had no control over it whatsoever, it did not go well. And so he was out of the ministry for a couple of years, and um, there were some people at another church, and they would have this, this meeting in the basement. I mean, I say a meeting, it's like 150 people, so it was part of a large church, but this Bible study. And they called him up because the guy that normally did it was going to be gone, and they wanted him to come in. And he's like, he's like guys, I, I appreciate the offer, but I really, I really can't because it's hard to talk, and it's hard for you to hear me. And they loved this guy, and they said, listen, we understand that. We'll just listen louder. Okay, we want you to come. And this is all, all they wanted to do, and so he agreed to go. And so I've got a recording of, of this taking place. Now, before I show you this, I want to let you know something. I disagree with some of the theology that he's going to bring up. That's okay, because the one thing that I do know is that God works through people with bad theology. Right? You know how I know that? He's used me. Okay? Thank you, Stan. I appreciate that. <laughs> The rest of you are sitting there like, what bad theology? He never gets anything wrong, right? That's what it was. Stan knows the truth. So don't worry about that part of it. But I want you to see what happens here. Go ahead.
That's my God. Medically told nothing they could do. He'd be like that the rest of his life. And he had accepted that. You heard his theology. Was he expecting to be healed? Not at all. He doesn't know what God's will is. And yet in that moment, caught on tape, and in 1995 it was tape, watched it happen. 150 people in the audience watched God move. Sure, there's probably some scientific explanation for it. I, I have no doubt of that. Sarcasm if you didn't pick up on that. You see, we need to know what Scripture says. Here's a man that was not confident that God heals. He knows that he does, but when and where and how and all that, he had no idea that experienced the power and moving of God in his own life. And there are many of us here that have experienced the exact same thing. 
But did you hear how moved he was? In the realization of what just happened, he couldn't help but be grateful. If we don't show that same gratitude, the fact that we are right with God, healing doesn't matter. We've got to start there. We're going to dig into this and we're going to dig deep. Send to say often we're going to go down deep and stay down long. We're not going to rush through this. We're going to go to the Word and see what it says. I'm telling you, you do not want to miss the next several weeks. We're going to get into what God has to say on the subject.